0: Big to us and they're big deals, you know, and they contemplate many things. And we had one that had a certain problem today, one of the students I deal with and in my classes. And she claims to be a Christian and we were talking about it and she said she had a problem situation she's dealt with a long time and, and just couldn't understand why it still hadn't been handled by God. And after we talked a while, I asked her, is, is, is God's word true? And she said, yes. Is God a liar? No. Does God say he's going to do what he says he's going to do? She said, yes. And I said, then God is good all the time, no matter what we're going on. And, you know, she just sort of looked at me and as we talked through it all, she kept saying to "says God is good all the time. He is good all the time. Let's sing this chorus to him now. God is good. Thank you. You may be seated. our way choir stands
1: silent they're waiting to sing
0: Let's all stand tonight. We're glad you're here. We have visitors, folks. We're gonna let the choir come down. Uh, we're gonna do sitting at the feet of Jesus, please. Let's just do that. We're gonna come down, we'll shake hands with everyone around. We're glad you're here tonight. Make everyone welcome. Get out, and visit, shake hands. We've got plenty of time now, so don't take be a hurry here. While you're finishing shaking up hands, go ahead and get your songbook. Everybody get your book now because don't do the lip syncing thing here. Don't try to read my lips because the choir knows I sing every word wrong. Page 401, get your book here because these are good words. 401, sitting at the feet of Jesus.
2: Maybe when I
1: think of all my thoughts and all my failures.
3: When I consider
1: all the times I've let God down I am humbled by the grace He has extended I'm amazed at the mercy I have found I can never earn His love on my own Yet every time I come before his nothing precious that I can give. This old broken life is all I have to offer. And yet it is a priceless gift to Him. Oh, the bitter mark of sin will never fade away. Oh, but I can come before him I
3: tell you one of the most blessed days of my life was when I realized that I get to go to God and my coming to the Lord and my getting anything from God did not depend on who I was but it depended upon what he had done I used to think well if I'll read so many chapters a day and pray so many hours a day and I'll do this and witness to 20 a day God will surely bless me I mean, we used to have those all-night prayer meetings, and we'd come to church on Sunday morning. We'd think, now, we're really going to get blessed today. It'd be dead as a pecker wood, But it dawned on me God doesn't bless us because of what we do. He blesses us because of who we are in Him, and that's the reason we're blessed. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? Well, it's a joy to have Brother Hurt with us. Open your Bibles, and we're going to listen to God's mandate.
4: Our Bibles are open tonight to the book of Haggai, if you have a copy of the scriptures. A little two-chapter book of Haggai tonight, and we're in chapter number one. That's page 813 in my Bible, if that'll help you in <laughs> Could go to Matthew, turn left, and what, about three books, you'll be there. Haggai chapter number one, please. And then I want to read out of the book of Luke, if you'll hold your place here in the prophecy of Haggai tonight. And then go with me, please, to Luke number 12. Luke chapter number 12, and then we'll read and have an opportunity a little later to make reference to some of the scriptures that's before us, at least in part wonderful sense of the Lord's presence in our midst again tonight. And we're grateful. Such a refreshing sense of His presence. In His presence is fullness of joy. Times of refreshings come from His presence. And I'm grateful for it tonight. I had the opportunity a few days ago. It's been what, uh, well, I was off the road about three weeks in the first meeting after uh, being off the road there a few days, I spent some days with a church and a dear pastor that uh, we had the opportunity and the joy of uh, working together for, uh, well, I guess about 15 years, two different locations. He said something while we were visiting there one evening. Uh, that brought what I'm talking about tonight <clears throat> to my attention, and uh, we were just sort of reminiscing and talking about some of the days back when we had the the opportunity of serving the Lord together. He worked on the staff there; he was a uh, one of the preachers with us when we were in the pastorate. And uh, well, I, I'll say something about it in a, little, a little more detail in a moment, but it, it brought this to my attention. I thought about it. Uh, it spoke to my own pers- uh, my needy heart in a personal way, and uh, I haven't been able to get away from it. I feel the Lord tonight wants us just sort of share these truths with you. Luke chapter number <clears throat> 12, our Lord is, uh, he's talking to his own here. He, he's uh, <clears throat> speaking to a, a large crowd of people. Uh, we understand that from verse 1 of Luke 12 when it says it's, uh, they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. It uh, doesn't really mean that they couldn't have been numbered, but uh, to look out over a crowd, the expression means it's uh, just a large group of people, innumerable multitude. And our Lord was doing what he was wont to do when there was a crowd around him. He was sharing truths with them. Great and weighty truths, insightful truths. He talks about heaven. He talks about hell. He talks about the providence of God. He talks about the goodness of God. And right in the midst of his uh, sharing these wonderful truths with this uh, uh, multitude of people, there's a man stands up and, and rather rudely interrupts the Lord verse 13 one of the company said to him master speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me now the Lord wasn't talking about that subject speaking with the authority that he was speaking with this man since maybe the Lord could uh, uh, would act in that capacity for him uh, oftentimes the, the rabbis of that day they would function in that capacity sort as an arbitrator uh, an umpire, a referee, if you please, to settle dispute. Evidently, this fellow's brother's about to beat him out of his inheritance. And he thinks perhaps the Lord will, you know, settle that dispute uh, between he and his brother. He, He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him Master, Teacher. Notice now, he's talking to, this man stands up, speaks up, interrupts the Lord, and Notice how direct the Lord is back at him in verse 14. He said to him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then having spoken to him, he turns back to them, verse 15, that crowd. And he just picks up on the subject the man is, uh, brings up. He, the man's eaten up with covetousness. So he gave that what we call sometimes the parable of this farmer, this rich farmer, rich fool, God called him. And then having given that double warning, take heed and beware, he says. He comes back to his own now. That's what I want us to think about. Look at verse 22. He said to his disciples, therefore, because what he'd been talking about say, therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his statue one cubic? If ye then uh, be not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which today is in the field, tomorrow cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. For all of these things do the nations of the world seek after, And your father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I'll make reference in a few minutes as the Lord leads uh, to at least uh, two verses in this scripture. In the book of Haggai tonight, chapter 1. Verse 1 In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month, and the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedech, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It's time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses. And this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways." Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow up on it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, upon cattle, upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and the twentieth day, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let's bow for just a moment of quietness. And I'm going to ask you again this evening to do what we did last evening. To ask you just to, from your heart, just simply say something like this. Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm open. Our Father, we've already acknowledged the sense of your presence and power in this room. And we're grateful. Lord, our hearts have been, <clears throat> been refreshed. We've been helped. Lord, from the very first service here Sunday morning, and every, every meeting since, we, we've just sensed the reality of your presence. And, and we're grateful. We pray now that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God. And Lord, as seed, I pray thy Word shall fall into good ground tonight. Hearts that's open and receptive. And and as a result, I pray that our lives will be a life that will bring glory to God. We bless you and praise you in that worthy name. Amen. I call our attention tonight, to, basically, to an expression that's found twice in the scripture. It's in verse 5, and then again in verse 7. It simply says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. My preacher friend that we were with a few days ago, a week before last now, uh, we were just talking, and he made reference to his wife, and he said, uh, "Brother Hurt, we were talking last evening after you went to the room, and he said uh, we agreed that there was a turning point. He named the the church, and about the time that that he said that to them, it was rather obvious that uh, something, as he put it, something good began to happen there that Uh, he said it was sort of a breakthrough, the terms he used, and said, we remember the night that you preached a message, and uh, you introduced your message by saying that though God had been good to us and was good to us and was blessing, but the Lord had burdened you to come before us as a people and to say to us that there's a whole lot that he has for us that we're not... Enjoy, and we're not benefiting. We're not receiving. And he said, "You base the message on uh, the book of Haggai, as well as he mentioned those other places." And said, "When you talked about God's ancient people in the day of Haggai uh, missing that which God had for them, and uh, he remembered the title." I, He said, I titled the sermon then, and I think that probably was the title, and it was based upon this passage here, where that uh, God begins to say to him, you've sown much, but you only bring a little in, and you eat, but you're not, uh, you're not filled, you drink, but you're not filled with drink, and you clothe you, but there's none warm, and then he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with hold.'" And said, Brother Hurt, you title that sermon, When Your Pocket Has a Hole in It. And uh, I think perhaps that would be an appropriate title. That bag that the prophet makes reference to here would actually correspond to what my pockets and my trousers or my jacket, uh, what they serve for tonight. It was sort of a little draw bag of a thing that they, they put their personal belongings in it as we Perhaps you have your wallet in your pocket tonight, or you might have some valuables in your pocket. And uh, what God does through this prophet to really get his ancient people's attention was this. He said, it's something that belongs to you. you. You earned it. I mean, you have a right to possess it. You have a right to enjoy it, but you didn't benefit from it. He got away from you. You, you put it into that which you put your possessions in and your, uh, your treasures in, but when you went for it, you realized that it's not there to, to benefit you. It's not there for your enjoyment. It's gone. And so that's God's way in that day of saying to his ancient people, things are not uh, really, you know, stacking up as you expected them to what you anticipated and what you looked for and what you expected, it just didn't hardly ever pan out like that. You go out and sow much. Well, of course, if you sow a whole lot, you expect when you to harvest, you're going to have a rather abundant harvest if you have put the seed out there. But he said, you sowed much, but when you went to get it, it was so little. God said, when you clothe yourself, well, you expect it to be warm, but it's not just really it uh, just seems like it's coming short. You just know there ought to be more there. You just realize, you know, there's, somehow we're not getting in on what we really could get in and ought to get in on. It's ours. And uh, I said then, and I say again, this is rather graphic and striking. And uh, spoke to me then. It did this afternoon. I I haven't gotten away. I, I, last week I thought about it uh, after the preacher and I just sat and talking about it. And uh, most of them old sermon notes and outlines I thought away. But I went and dug this one up and, and looked at it just to see, you know, what to, which direction, what we do. I don't have the Bible with me that I I'd put notes in then, but I, I do have a little briefcase with me with hundreds of notes through the years there, and I, I, I looked for it, and I found it. Couldn't get away from it. Uh, God doesn't speak to me audibly. I, of course, I don't claim that, but uh, I don't go to the pulpit until I've had a word from God. I don't boast about that because I don't have anything. And if I try to go on my own, then, I mean, it's it's nothing. But And I don't boast about it, but I know that God said to me, he said to me even on yesterday, I knew it would either be the night or tomorrow night. I wasn't sure which one. But I knew then that God wanted me to share this truth, this text. And so tonight, I, I will to just talk to you about, well, if you please, when your pocket has a hole in it. <laughs> I mean, when you're not uh, uh, enjoying that which is yours to enjoy, you're not benefiting from that which really rightfully belongs to you. As the preacher said a moment ago, I mean, graciously God's blessed us. I read a text in the last few days of my reading when God's people talked about Ramoth Gilead, said it's ours, That's something belongs to God's people, but we be still, take it not. I mean, it was to be possessed, but instead, that that territory's ours. We just remain still with our inactivity, with no commitment to go get it. And that spoke to my needy heart in this same vein. Oh, what God has for us. What we could lay hold of that's ours in our birthright. God's got it for us. If somehow we just try to find out, our, our boy said to me way back years ago, I was talking about where we lived. He said, Dad, did y'all, he said, how far was it to town? I said, was well, I, I said it was a long ways. I said, "It's three miles the first, to the closest store. And to town, it was 20 miles to what we call town. You ever got to go to town? But when I'd go to the store, back in those days, about everything you needed, they had in that one store. Big stores has moved in our area called the Meyer stores, and they they, you know, their advertisement is everything you need's under one roof. I said, Well, they don't have anything on us. We had that back in the country years ago. We had hardware, we had clothes, we had food, the post office, everything was at I mean the drug store, what medicine you could get. Everything was on that one in that country store. And about eight year old boy, I remember this. I went and and, and and Mr. Brett, uh, Pastor Brett, he pastored the Missionary Baptist Church there in that community, and he operated that store. And I went in, little eight year old, barefooted boy, no shirt on, a no little pair of cut off breeches on. And I had a dime when I left home. <laughs> I tell you, to have a dime in those days, that was something. And uh, I went in there, and a uh, hot summer day, and just as I went in, there's some other folks there, and I helped myself over there. You get your drink out, and, and uh, there was uh, all types of drinks in there. I didn't, uh, I liked the Coke, but you see, the Coke was in those small bottles, and they had big, tall ones. I got that big one. is <laughs> a knee high of some kind. And uh, I got that out, and I got me a little cake, one of them little old cakes, about like that. You could get them both for a dime. And I done opened that drink, was drinking it, and had that cake, and standing there in line, and I stuck my hand down my pocket. And I didn't have a dime. <laughs> I had a hole in my pocket. <laughs> and I tell you, I, I, I couldn't tell you, how, you know, how I felt there. And Mr. Brett, I'm next in line. And, and that good preacher, that good pastor, he looked at me, held his hand out there, and, and I said, I had a dime and I left home, but I lost it. <laughs> you know, to let him know that I, I'm, I'm telling the truth, I just turned that thing, pulled it out. I said, look, I got a hole in my pocket. He looked at it. He looked at me as if say, "Yeah, you're drinking my pop already." <laughs> and I went to put that cake back, and he said, "No, I still remember that." He, he said, "No, you you just keep it. You take it with you." He said, "Now, if you find that dime on the way home, you'll bring it back to me, won't you?" I said, "Yes, sir." If I find it, I still owe him a dime. Amen. <laughs> Now, I've said that to say this, the next time I got a dime, it'd have been rather stupid on my part to drop it back in that pocket with a hole in it. That's putting it rather mild just to say stupid. And yet, if we're not careful, we discover sometimes that which we could benefit from is getting away from us. And God sometimes says that that ought to be sewed up. That, That ought to be taken care of. I could bless you if, uh, you know, you could enjoy it, though it's there. As the preacher said a moment ago, I mean, it's, it's ours by the grace of God. But to benefit for us to really get the enjoyment, sometimes we have to be there to, and meet the conditions that he has for us for the blessings to be ours. And he says to his ancient people here, well, they've come back out of, out of captivity, out of bondage, and, and there's some 50,000 of them, and, and they've returned with such enthusiasm and they're going to build a temple. And they lay the foundation. And then they just stop. And for about nearly all, almost 16 years, there hasn't been a lick, a lick of work on the temple. Now, if you'd run up on some of God's people in that day, and you'd have said to them, I understand you folks have quit God's work over there. Oh, no, no. That would have been an affront to them. That would have offended them. They haven't quit. It's just not time. We're going to plan on doing it. We're just delaying a little. Look how God, he comes right to him. God has a way of coming right to my point of need, and God doesn't play games with me. God says, here's your, here's what you need to do. Look how he says when he came, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, and he goes to him and says in verse 2, thus speaketh the Lord of Hosea, and this people say, God knows what they're talking about in, uh, among themselves. In, in essence, here's what they're saying. This people says, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Just don't feel, feel led to do it just now. Oh, I, I, I repeat, if you'd have suggested they, they never were going to do it, that would have insulted them. Sure, they're going to do it, but not yet, not now. And look what he says. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, they are saying it's not time. God said, well, let me tell you something. Here's what you're saying. It's time for you, O ye, to dwell in your seal houses. And this house lie waste. See what he's saying coming right to their point of need and God said now you want to know why you haven't been enjoying that which you have a right to enjoy. He said it's because of this house that's ways. Well he even drops down in verse 9 said you looked for much and lo, it came to little and when you brought it home that little bit you brought home God said I blew it away. Look at it. He said I I did blow upon it. It wouldn't take much of a breath of God to blow a little bit of blessing away. And then he asked a question rather, rather abruptly here. He just stopped and says, Why? saith the Lord of hosts? God said, I'll tell you, it's because of mine house that's waste, and you run every man to his own house. See what he was saying? God came into his people and said, Listen, you want to know? I'm trying to get your attention. God said in verse 10, they're agriculture people, for the most part, farm people, so they got to have dew. They got to have moisture. And God said, I, let me tell you something. I, he said, the, the, the heaven over you has stayed from dew, and the earth has stayed from her fruit. God said, do you want to know why you've had a drought? He said, I call for that. See, the weather is managed by God. God's in, in control of the weather. They don't manage that out of Washington tonight, amen. Uh, God, that's under his management. And God says, I call for that drought upon the land, upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men and cattle. Notice now, and all the labor of the hands. God said, I'm the one that's been causing that. Just wanted you to know, He said, the reason that what you should have been doing for me, you've left off. This house you need to be building, you've left that off. And every man's run to his own house. Therefore, he says, you consider your ways. Consider your ways. You want to sew up that pocket that's got a hole in it? You want to, you want to remedy that which is wrong? And, and you want to be able to enjoy your blessings? God said, just as it were, consider, of course, means to ponder, to think, to even to contemplate with care and attention. Give some careful thought to it, not just casually. Sit down and just really think about it, he's saying. And he said, I've got the blessing for you, but this house, where a man runs to his own house. So I want us tonight, there's three places, and this is one. I'm finished here in a moment. But there's three things that I think God wants me to think about, and perhaps you to think about, and that's what I said to our church when this dear man, one of the most committed men I've ever known in 38 years of preaching was this dear man I made reference to. I've never known a man more committed, more consecrated, more dedicated. He and his wife to God, and are still that way. Oh, what choice servants of God they were. The blessings only heaven were revealed that was ours because of he and another man and his wife. Served on the staff. I traveled three days every week. I was gone Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thursday was our midweek. I'll never missed any services. But uh, I was gone those days, and those men carried such a load in that church, a little body of people, less than 50 people. And I sound like a fool by bragging, but it's on the grace of God. In five years, it grew up to this Sundays There's 900,000 people sometime coming around there regularly. And it was God's grace, God's goodness, God's blessing. Amen. Men committed. And he said, Brother Hurt, about that, in that first year, there was a group of people, or was a little after the first year, they got a hold of that truth. He said... Uh, He knew people. I I didn't even know their names, hardly, because I wasn't there much. I I was there and preached and stayed there on the weekend, of course. But he said, I mingled. I got to go out more than you did with the people. And many of them said, Preacher, that was a turning point when we followed those suggestions from our pastor on that Sunday night and sewed up that pocket, Uh, closed that up where our blessings was getting away." And What's the first thing he asked us to consider? Your ways. Let me put it in a little, just a little simple way tonight, an old homemade sermon here. But let me just sort of, I believe God's calling each time he asks us to consider, I think he's calling for something from us in our living. And here, what I'm calling tonight in this passage, he's calling for consecrated living, dedicated living, devoted living, calling for something that was lacking in their life. Now, don't miss what I'm saying. God, uh, we're not to interpret this tonight in a way that uh, affected them primarily. He's not, I'm not suggesting God won't just start building a house. Uh, What that house was to them, to us, is the will of God, the work of God, the way of God. See, that was God's will, God's work, God's way for them, and they're preferring their way to the way of God. They're preferring their will to God's will. Oh, now, I repeat, they hadn't completely quit God. They don't want to renounce God. I mean, after all, He's God, and maybe someday they'll need Him. They just, you know, right now, they're just preoccupied. They're just busy. Oh, you listen, sometimes we can be so busy about something that's good within itself, but leave the will of God. Leave a walk with God alone and doing our own thing. I ask a man, he's with the Lord now, and he, he really knew about revival. He'd been preaching longer than I've been living. I'm 62-year-old. He'd been preaching 65 years. And I said to him just a little while before going to heaven, and he really knew about revival, I said, Doc, why, where are we at now? Why aren't we having this? What we... You know what he said to me without a second's hesitation? He said, Brother Hurt, this is my, this is my opinion. He said, I, he said I, as I've thought about it, he said, I, I, I think this is where we're at. He said, in, in our day, we've got a religion of convenience if it don't interfere with something that I want to do. And uh, he hadn't, you know, he still, he preached right up until he went home to be of the Lord, 80-some-year-old. And he said, some of the places I go now, even some of the leaders, you can't really get them to be faithful. I mean, he said, there's something else going on. He wasn't mean, but he's a straight shooter. He just said, you know, I mean, that's, and he said, God won't play second fiddle and stuff like that. God said, my people call by my name. If they humble themselves and out of a sense of brokenness and turning away from self-centeredness and putting God first. I said to someone today, any revival I've ever read about and a few times I've had the joy of seeing God in, in some fellowships do something. Oh, it wasn't of the whole church, but it'd be a nucleus that would, would, would consecrate to him, dedicate to him, pay a price. And God, oh, when God breaks in, it's like when the tide comes in, Amen. A preacher who I was at the other day, he said, "You know, when you're, uh, when, when the tide, when the tide does come in." He he began to mention about where he was raised, and he wasn't. It's it, it, springtime. He said they'd have the floods and the river to get out of the banks, and, and he said before he'd do that, there would be little shallow puddles around. And, and he said every little puddle had a few little shrimp in it, a few little fish in it. <laughs> every little fish had his own puddle. Until it got out of the banks and he said when it got out of the banks it just put it all together (laughs) and he started preaching on I I want her to get out of the banks amen (laughs) and that's what revival is oh revival has a way unifying and and breaking hearts and bringing us to God and the Lord becomes so obvious and, and, and magnified that you know the other things that's getting our attention oh they're lesser than, and we begin to put him in his place But it takes a few people. Any revival, and I'm no student really of anything, uh, but revival has been a theme I've tried to study now for 35 years. I've never read of a revival unless at least a nucleus, a few. Sometimes I just start with one or two, but they would die to self, and more than they'd want to live, they'd commit to Him. And God takes notice of that. God begins to observe that. And God saying to his ancient people, well, God just looking for an opportunity to bless them the moment they hear this. Immediately, Zerubbabel, this good man, and Joshua, this, this priest, immediately they, they begin to say, Oh, we're going to obey the Lord. And, and, and God sends a word right back to the prophet and says to him immediately, I'm with thee, saith the Lord. Oh, the moment they mean business, God said, okay, that's what I was waiting for. I want to reveal my power. My blessing's going to be here now since you're going to obey me. Somebody said to me one day, Brother Hurt, they hadn't really disobeyed. They they just delayed their obedience. (laughs) Well, they ain't a whole lot of difference in delayed obedience than disobedience. I mean, it's just terminology, see. Sounds a little better to me to say, "Well, I'm just not obeying right now, but I'm planning on doing that one of these days." Oh, tonight he says he's calling upon us to consider our ways. They they preferring their way to the way of God. They're preferring their will to the will of God. I was preaching along this line one time in this church, and one fellow said to me, "Sir." He said, oh, Brother Hurt, you're talking about being committed and dedicated and consecrated. Boy, he said, I know a man. Boy, that exactly describes him. He mentioned him. I said, really? Oh, my. He said, i tell you. Duh. He said, duh. I said, I said that's a fact. He said, oh, yeah. He said he wears a pen right here on his lapel that says Jesus first, and I know he's committed. <laughs> well, don't read something in. I'm not saying. I'm not being critical of wearing a pen. And I'm not being critical of the ministry that sends that out. I happen to appreciate that ministry. We send our students there, and thank, I thank God for him. So don't, don't read in I'm being a critic. I'm not that. But it just, you know, I never did feel that, you know, that really said a lot about me, to wear a pin on my lapel. Well, you can wear one on both and still not be committed. Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not against that. I'm just simply saying because there's a pin on a lapel doesn't mean we're consecrated. I started to say we've we've come through an era, you know, there was a lot of bumper stickers used to be on cars. I don't think we're completely through, but I don't see. I travel all the time. I don't see as many as I used to. Uh, I've seen some. I've seen some. <laughs> uh, I saw one. Uh, I kind of liked it, and I never did really put it. On. I'm not against it. if you do that. Don't read a man got mad at me and walked out. Someday thought I was preaching. He said he had them on both ends. I said I'm not preaching against it. I just feel like that does. That's not me. That's I mean that doesn't speak of who I am. Uh, I, I could put them all over it, but still, that's no sign I'm dedicated. And I saw one on a car. I, most time they they didn't appeal to me, but I saw one. You know we had uh, there was one pretty popular for a while. You know, honk if you love Jesus. Folks went around tooting their horn. And, uh, but I saw another one that says, Tive. if you love Jesus, anybody can honk. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of liked that one. I thought that old boy was running too fast for me to catch him. I thought I'd like to find out where he got that. I'd take some of them to my meeting. Oh, listen now don't go away don't get mad at me now I'm in a good humor tonight amen I've been blessed with all this good singing this week babe. man they I told my wife I said I'm getting a little scared of myself I'm hollering sticking my hand up and everything this week I said you better pray for me dry as I am boy y'all doing rubbing off on me she said really my, my wife she likes it she's been trying to get me to do it <laughs> and, uh, she said really boy I can't imagine I said I tell you they're helping me <laughs> So I'm blessed, and I'm the good humor. Don't get mad at me. I'm just wanting to tell you what God's told me. It takes more than wearing something on the lapel and something on the bumper sticker. I'm not against that. But it's going to take us at least a nucleus of God's people if we ever happen to really break through and get all the blessings he wants. He's got for us. It's going to take some to consider our ways in some areas where we're preferring our self-will to God's will, we just have to consecrate to His will and commit and dedicate. There's a second lesson. I just call that to our attention and move to the last one. It's in those verses we read in Luke chapter number 12. And twice, you notice perhaps when was reading it, the Lord brings that word before us. God wants us to consider something here. In verse 24, it says, consider the raven. Verse 27, he says, Consider the lilies. Now, over in the passage we just came from, he says, There, consider your ways. And he's calling for what I'm calling consecrated living, committed living, dedicated living. Here, if you'd study this, I think you'd agree with me in, in its entirety. He's not so much calling here for consecrated living as he's calling tonight for confident living trying to get them to trust him, have confidence in him. Down in verse number 32, he says, fear not, little flock. Verse 28, he says, oh, ye of a little faith. See, he wants my commitment to him. He wants me devoted, consecrated, dedicated to him. But to receive from God, we never receive from God apart from faith. I sat here on, what was it, Sunday night. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He didn't say it'd be difficult to please me. No, no, God says without it, it's impossible. Jesus said it's according to your faith. You see, in the Bible, when he gave one of his outstanding parables on prayer, we ought always to pray and not to faith. Really, the the crutch of the whole matter is that he, he concludes it but says when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, leave it in his context. He's not asking, is he going to find anybody who believes the Bible when he comes? He's not asking if he's going to find a believer. He's coming for his church. That's not his question. The question is in the context of that poor widow that wouldn't take no for an answer, and she persevered. And it illustrates what he said about us. We ought to pray and not to fade. Don't lose heart. See, faith and prayer is two sides of the same coin. When I'm praying, I'm expressing my faith. I can gauge my faith by looking at my prayer life. When I begin to get to a slack in my praying, that's evidence that my faith is dwindling. As long as I believe it makes a difference. And, and I don't read in the Bible anything that's not there. You can check me on this on a reliable source and you'll find there's a definite article there. And what he literally said, will he find this kind of faith? The kind of faith that's, that's expressed in that widow that wouldn't lose heart, that wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and that's the illustration is that we ought to pray and not to faint. But he raises a question when he comes, and, and I could paraphrase and it, it would not it. He's saying, will I find praying like that? When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith? Faith like that's being expressed in his parable. Oh, here he's talking. He's trying to get them to see that Oh, their father, he feeds these uh, ravens. He, he feeds the fowl of the air. He clothes these flowers in the field. I mean, he's just their creator. He's just their God. He's God. Uh, he's the God of nature, of course, but he's your father. Father. And he says down in verse 32, coming right to their point of need, fear not, little flock, I know you, little crowd. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not the father of the fowls. He's not the father of the flowers. He's just the creator. And yet in his benevolence and providence and guidance and goodness, why, he feeds them, he clothes them. Our Lord is such a masterful teacher He'd often, he'd take and he'd argue from the lesser to the greater. He said, how much more important are you? You're redeemed with the blood of his son. And he finds pleasure. He finds delight in giving you the kingdom and all that's implied, all of the blessings of the kingdom. But he says this, where's your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies, how they grow. Consider the ravens. He says they don't sow, they don't reap. Now, don't read in what he's not saying. He's not against sowing and reaping. Of course not. Thank God for the farmers. Where would we be if we didn't have the farmers? I mean, that's we exist tonight because somebody, they, they sow and they reap and they harvest. But that's his point is this. See, how much better are you than a little fowl? See, man's created in the image of God, and he has an element of creativity about him. I mean, he's intelligent being. He knows how to plant his seed and cultivate his seed, harvest his seed. Little birds is not endowed with that kind of intelligence. They're lesser than a human Little birds, God just feeds them. They don't have the ability to go out and sow their seeds and, and harvest their seeds and, and yea they don't have to, Jesus said. God feeds them. When he says those lilies, when you think about them, he said they toil not. He's not against toiling, of course. He's not against work. They spin not. What he's saying, some people, they toiled over where they'd spin their clothing. But he said, that's not how they got their little dress. They didn't go to work over at the meal and weave and spin their clothing. No, God put that on them. And uh, he said, even Solomon with all of his wardrobe couldn't dress up uh, like one of these. And they're so temporary in nature. And then he comes back to get them to, to trust him. Oh, where's your faith tonight? Do you take him at his word? Do you express your faith in prayer? Do you meet him day by day? Oh, what God would do with us if somehow we'd say, Lord, you're the God that feeds the, 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 that feeds the fowl and clothes the flowers. You're my father. And I'm going to have that commitment with you. And in faith and confidence and trust, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you to meet my need. So he said, Consider. Consider your ways, and he's calling for consecrated living. Consider the, the ravens, consider the lilies. He's calling here for what I'm calling confident living. Trust him, rely on him. In the book of Galatians, you'll find this expression scores of times in the Bible, but in Galatians 6 is where I went to the, for the last one I just mentioned it. Galatians chapter number 6. And... Uh, In this passage, he's talking to the church at Galatia, and and he brings this word before us here, and he's asked uh, the people of Haggai's day to consider their way in. He asked his disciples to consider uh, nature around them, consider the flowers, consider the fowl. Their heavenly father was uh, the sustainer of nature uh, there, and and he's able and willing and wanted to meet their needs if they just trust him. But here, he, he asks these ones over there at Galatia, he's right into the church, because in verse six, chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, brethren, and he brings into focus one that has been overtaken and in a fall. And what he has to say to this church is that, uh, you know, your response to someone that has failed, don't ignore them. Don't reject them. Don't criticize them. He said restore them. And to be honest, that particular time, there was a whole lot of people scattered. We put two small churches together. And the one that we brought to that location at one time used to run three or 400 people, and there was only about 30 of them now. I've been gone, and I had the privilege of starting that fellowship uh, years prior to that. And there's probably 30 people left out. It used to be Brother AC's here. Good to see these preachers. You've been at the old West Side. You, you've been there, and he used to preach for us regular in the building. Big packed. You hardly get them in there. Three, four hundred people come into one of the poor areas of our city. Uh, we brought that group over to Hope, and he had been there many times too. And uh, with both groups together, there was probably uh, less than 50. I'd preached at the Hope location. When that building would have three or four hundred people, both of them had been devastated and scattered and discouraged. And I started saying, God burdened my heart. And I don't take credit for it. I'm just telling you, God, God spoke to my heart about it. And, and uh, we got some of the leadership together. And I'd say to them, where's this family? Anybody know about this family? What about this family? What's happened to this one? And for the most part, they wasn't in anybody's church. They're just down discouraged, defeated. I'd say, how long has it been since anybody called on this family? Does anybody know anything? Anybody going out there and tell them that we we need them, we missed them, just go? And we had what we call the Barnabas group. You know who Barnabas is in the Bible. I preached a sermon about Barnabas. His name was, was changed from Joseph to Barnabas. Barnabas means son of consolation. More literally, son of encouragement. And I preached a sermon I entitled, Meet Mr. Encouragement. And we, we found five qualities about Barnabas. And I said, if we could have these qualities in our life, I think we could be a Barnabas. We could be an encourager. We could be somebody that would lift up the fallen. We'd be somebody that will go the second mile. We'd be somebody that would want to trust uh, people a little further when others gives up on them. Even the mighty apostle Paul, he gave up on Mark, but Barnabas didn't. And, and later, he would write to show that he was the one that was wrong because later after Barnabas uh, took up for Mark and helped him and encouraged him Paul would write later and said bring Mark he's profitable for the ministry so Barnabas is kind of person even after somebody's failed they don't quickly give up on them and I based it on this too you know somebody down tonight Somebody discouraged tonight somebody's lost their joy maybe somebody's bitter and upset and, What's our response to them? Do we ignore them? Do we criticize them? Have we rejected them? This scripture says restore. Look at it. Restore. That's an interesting word. As you students know, that's medical terminology. Idea. There's a, a bone that needs to be set in your, in, your, in your body. It's out of whack. It's out of joint. Oh, it's still part of the body, but it's useless because it's out of joint. It can't take orders from the, from the head anymore because it's not in touch. It, it's, it's not what it ought to be. And the idea is that skilled surgeon, with his, with his expertise and his skill, he, he puts that back where it belongs. And that's why he says, you be sure you do this in the right spirit. Don't you go out with a self-righteous spirit, he's saying. Don't go out as some prosecuting attorney, like an investigator, no, he said, no, you're not that. You're a brother. Go with brotherly love. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love never fails. Love thinketh no evil. Love's not auspicious of everybody. The moment I'm always, you know, auspicious of him and her, God just said to me, you don't have my love. My, my love will trust people. And uh, So he said, you, you, you do this in the spirit of meekness, and here's the word, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. See what he's saying? If I'm self-righteous and haughty and feel like, well, oh, that could never, God said, you better give some thought to yourself. You're just about ready to fall. Bible says, take heed when a man thinks he stands, lest he falls. When I hear people self-righteously coming down on somebody because they fail, I shudder. I think, oh, they don't know their self. They're headed for a fall because just before that arrogance and pride and self-righteousness—it's just before they tumble over themselves. And so, what's he calling for when he asks us to consider our ways? I suggested he's calling for consecrated living, just some dedication. When he asks us to consider nature around us—the the flowers of the field and the fowl of the air—how he, he sustains and cares for nature in his providential way. He's calling there for what I'm calling confident living. Just trust him. Rely on him. Oh, in faith, trust him. But I call this tonight, he's calling for compassionate living. Oh, bearing one another's burdens. See, look at verse 2. See, the way you help restore that person and You'll fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? He didn't talk about the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you. What is that new commandment, Lord? That you love one another like I've loved you. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Somebody said, What's that mean? Pray, tell. Who could explain it? End of what? Oh, yeah, the end of their own stumbling. The end of his time with them, sure. He loved them right on through all of the such unworthiness. He loved them to the end. His love is everlasting love. And he's saying, as I've loved you, you take my love now to other people. And here, Paul is going to write to that church. And now here's the way you fulfill that command. Is it put your shoulder under their burden, as it were, and you bear one another's burdens. To him be the glory. I saw people get broken and burdened. And the ones that, uh, we didn't just send anybody out. I want to be unkind, but we had some around there. If you'd have sent them to a fallen brother, they—I tell you—he'd have been lower when they when they left him than he was when they got there. And they with that Pharisaical attitude, oh, I'd pray, Lord, don't let one of them go. (laughs) And I don't mean to be unkind. Don't send them this tape, preacher. Amen. (laughs) But uh, oh, that's been years ago. I've been out of the pastorate now, oh, what, fifteen years. So that goes back. That's twenty-some. That preacher, now he said to me the other day, he said, Brother Hurt, It's 31 years ago we started working together. And we sat and cried together and laughed together. Some of the best days of my life, we talked about some of those those times. We'd have services, and I don't say this to my credit, I know who I am. You you know, you need not remind me. I've already told you, God did that. But there'd be people stand up sometimes Sunday night, just break out and I mean, it'd go for an hour or more, and people just weeping. And, Could I say something? Could let me say something? Many would say, oh, we were so empty, so bitter. And they'd point out somebody and said, we was even rude and unkind, but they'd set in tears. We'd beg our people to be filled with the spirit and the love of God before they go Many of them say, oh, and some of the most useful people. I can go in that area now. I preach in that general area just some weeks back when I told you the other night about preaching that church where a young preacher died. Many of those people, I've been their pastor. It's just a small church, but people from different churches now, they came over there where I was preaching. Many of them were so kind to me. And they, they, they make reference, oh, we were down. Somebody just came. See, love suffers long. Love is kind. Love never quits. Love just keeps right on. What would happen in our churches if first some of us would start considering our ways and put him in his rightful place? Consider how he sustains even nature around him and just trust him and by faith and, and obey his word and, and bring the tithe that belonged to him. And that's, that's our tithe. And God's not trying to raise money when he says, give him the, bring the tithe and give an offering. God's just saying if we're willing to trust him, that's our way of saying, Lord, we believe you're who you say you are and we're going to depend on you. And that's faith when you do that and have a prayer life and just trust him by faith. Oh, what do you do? and then have a heart for people that's in need reach out I had this brought to my attention just it's been just some time back now I was at home and, and the phone rang and, and a man's voice and it was early morning real early about 5am on Monday morning and, and he said preacher pardon me for calling so early I'm calling from Methodist Hospital you you probably wouldn't know me if I gave you my name. He said, "I think you know my wife. Let me give you my wife's maiden name. See if you know her." And he mentioned her name, and I said, "Sure, sure, yes, I know her." He said, uh, <clears throat> "She's asked me to call you." We unplugged the machine on her on uh, been a few hours back. This is early Monday, and they unplugged the machine on a Saturday. Doctors told him. He said the doctors told us that she probably, had, from their perspective, you know, he asked what we could expect. He said, oh, we've seen them linger for a few hours, but sometimes it's immediate. You know, we can tell you that, but it'll probably be. And he said uh, they tucked the machine uh, off, the life support, but said she didn't die. She woke up. She's was in a coma. Deep coma, we thought. She's very alert, and she's asked me to call you. She feels God wants you to come back here and see her. I said, yes, I'll be there. And I was at the Methodist Hospital as quick as I get there. And uh, I hadn't seen these folks in a long time. And uh, when I went in, she she immediately recognized me. Her mother's there, her husband, and they're probably 12, 13, maybe 15-year-old boy. And... Uh, she said, their voice was weak, but it's clear. She said, Brother Hurt, uh, I've lost consciousness of time, but they say it's real early, and I'm sorry you had to get up and come so early. She said, but I, I felt God wanted me to ask you to come. She said, I, they tell me I was supposed to have been dead some, uh, a little while ago. She said, I'm dying, I know it. and, uh, and uh, she, she knew she wasn't well, and the doctors knew that, but they were amazed. And uh, you know what she said to me? She said, I didn't ask you to come out here and pray with me, though I want you to before you leave. She said, the reason I want you to come, it's been a long time since I talked to you. Incidentally, they're in a church out on the south side of Indianapolis, and her husband is is, is one of the leaders out there. And uh, she said, uh, the reason I want you to come, I personally want it before I go to heaven, she said, I want to thank you again for coming to our place on a Tuesday night in the poor area of our city to an alcoholic's home. Her mother's sitting there. She looked over at her and told my alcoholic mother that God loved her. And Jesus died for her. She said, that's been 30 years ago. I was 10 years old. I'm 40 years old now and I just wanted to again personally thank you, pardon me for being so personal but I said I'm going to illustrate something in a moment she said I personally wanted to thank you for coming and she named the city and if you know anything about the city of Indianapolis it's the and a lot of it's been taken away now because they built the big dome and everything in that general area, it's one of the poorest areas in those days, rough area. and she said coming in one of the poorest areas of our city and telling my mother that night that God loved her. And she said, you do remember when Mama got down there and asked the Lord to save her. I started crying. Name's Kathy. I recall I said, I sure remember that. I said, Kathy, would you like to know that you're saved? She said, yes, I don't want to go to hell. Timmy, her brother, eight-year-old, He's sitting there, just so he won't look her up, and I spoke to him, and, and I still remember what he said. He said, I don't want to go to hell either. And Sunday night, I baptized that mother and those two children. If I mentioned the name Millie, you probably remember what they say. You remember who she was. That's, that's her mother. Not a more dedicated person I'd have ever met, and she still is. She's not well. But she still loves Jesus Christ with all of her heart, so bold and unashamed. I don't mean she is brazen or ugly, but she's always bold. I tell you, she'd tell anybody and everybody about Jesus. And Kathy said, "Brother Heard, I just wonder. <clears throat> pardon me. I just want to thank you for coming by and telling us." She said, Not only did God save me, but she said, I was I was a bitter little girl. We had, I, I was embarrassed to go to school. I was so depressed. I hadn't had any clothes. And said uh, Mother had such a problem drinking. We, everything we got, she drank it out. But she said, What a difference after Jesus saved us. Now I've said that to say this. You know what God said to me over there in the room this afternoon? And to my shame, really. Because I've been developing a sermon I'm gonna preach on when. When he said, uh, You need to recall what it was like in the beginning of your experience. He called it first love. He didn't tell that church at Ephesus, You don't love me, period. That's not what he said. He just said, You've left your first love. Literally, he says, You don't love me like you did at the first. You used to love me in a way you don't love me now. So you need to remember that. You re- need to remember what it was like in its beginning. Then repent because you got away from that. And then repeat, do the first word, return to that. This afternoon, that was gripping my heart. And I said, Oh God, I can remember. I can remember that some areas I'm embarrassed to say this. It's different. And he said, How long has it been since you wept over somebody? How long has it been since you had what you had in those days as a that you'd go out and knock on some doors and go into those homes and tell somebody there's a God that loves them so much that his son took their place. See, if we're not careful, I fear we get ill-balanced. So I said the other evening last night about prayer, oh, he, we must pray and get his power. But why does he give us power? I'm reading that new book by Jim Cimbala. Uh, it's speaking to me as much as the fresh wind and fresh fire His first one. He calls this one fresh power. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. I, I, I hardly read, ever read a book through it one time. I've about done that. I'm about to conclude it this week. Oh, how, how it's gripping me again that God says, Man, son, you don't have to get stale. You don't have to cool off because you've been saved a little while. It's, it's, it's fresh. There's fresh power. There's a fresh burden for souls. But see, if we're not careful, we rationalize, we excuse, and, and we even criticize people sometimes that's doing it. And we find fault because they don't do it just like we probably are doing it. And sometimes that's out of my arrogance and my pride. It makes me feel a little better to come down on somebody. Jesus, one time, while well, he was here. Some people said, we found a fellow getting the devil out of a, uh, a fellow over here, and we, we stopped him, we forbade him, because he's not following us. And Jesus said, let him alone." let him alone he wasn't in their little immediate group but he was doing what the disciples couldn't do they just they just fell on their face trying to get the devil out of a boy and turned around and found the fella that was doing what they couldn't do and they criticized him and our lord said you let him alone oh if he's for us he's not against us and i think he'd say that to my old critical heart sometime and I'm finding at least in my mind towards somebody maybe don't dot every I and cross every T like I think we ought to and yet there's God's power on them and yet they're honoring God and yet they're getting the devil out of people and getting people saved oh listen tonight I think God is saved I know he is to me oh would you sit down as it were and think about your ways think about who I am and how I can bless you then think about people that has fallen and people that's never been in the family. Try to have some compassion. Try to bear their burdens. Heads are bowed.